0: our DT systems the wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way but it's the wrap 1400 it's a collar that is super reliable ready to rock and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season so it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there easy and accessible bingo bango bongo if you don't want that one check out the H h it's the dt systems and it's dog tested dog tough all right baby gunner kennels man one of the things that i love about gunner kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old, like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Sliding the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. all right our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird let me help you help your dog bunch of different breeds bunch of different personalities start to finish teaching you how to do it links in the description Ba-ba-ba-ba-boom, baby, we got another one for ya. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lone Ducks, Gun Dug Chronicles. Here we go, it's just me and Kevin tonight. We We are going to discuss and get in-depth on a hot topic.
1: Do you remember that, like that uh, store in the mall called Hot Topic? Yeah, they had some parachute pants and I was, and am quite afraid of half the people in there.
0: Yeah. I mean I don't want to judge a book by the cover, but No, but but I'm a judging.
1: But they beat me up. No. You don't think
0: Nah, those are the type of people that need a safe space. And therefore they have like the uh the studded bracelets. Now I did have those, by the way. So I used to ride BMX. So I, I did buy some stuff from Hot Topic. I had some Jim Morrison t You could get some classic Jim Morrison t-shirts and Jimi Hendrix t-shirts. And I had a little long hair. And I used to shred the the dirt ramps and, you know. So I, I've, I've dabbled. I had the black belt with the studs. So I'm not hating. I'm just saying. They need to cry a little bit. Hmm. I probably did too. I was busy shredding. Anywho, we got a hot topic for you. If you've listened to that whole shenanigans, we're going to talk about whistle set and intro to handling. We get it. I, I get asked all the time on how to do it. And I think it's an important conversation to have because so many folks jump ahead, do it too young. They don't have the proper foundation in place that the dog can thoroughly understand what's being asked of it. And therefore, It goes to hell in a handbasket. Lickety split. Right. Right. Hot topic. If it's still around and Um, we get sued,
1: (laughs) eh, nobody cares about it. Nobody cares. Uh, But we did have a couple. Speaking of questions, Bob put out an Instagram thing and we had some good ones come through. So, yeah. So we're going to hit those as well. Yeah. Yeah, So it's going to be partially
0: Q&A, but I would bet like in the last three hours that that like Instagram Q and a was up 12 of the 18 were on some sort of beginnings of handling. So we're going to, we're going to like take those questions and I'm going to mold my conversation around it, but I'm going to start to finish how I do it. Um, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. This is how I roll. Uh, but first the food, the fuels, the truck of the lone duck. You can nooba baby. Now, I want to say thank you to everybody who's tried that three-month challenge. I haven't gotten any bad re- reviews on their three-month challenge. Most, if not all, of the people who... No. Most would mean that there was someone that didn't. I haven't had anybody disappointed that they tried it. I would be honest if I did. Nobody's been disappointed. They've all been pleased with what they've seen from their dog. And I, I feel the same way. The new formula is legit. Um, Chewy.com you can get it there you there's some stores that sell it they're dabbling with some different things that they got to do getting it out there to everybody but it's because of high demand right we got to get that supply up so i'm sorry if you've had trouble getting that you could baby but supply and demand get it while the getting's good get on that three-month challenge next up gunner
1: kennel man's best kennel Bob's been writing a couple articles for their website. Check those out. How to be a trainer. What it's like. day in life. Get those. Pretty good. (laughs) It's pretty good. Yeah. Well,
0: Kevin might have helped me write it. Yeah. It's pretty good. We tag teamed
1: it. We tag team. We tag team it. They've been doing a bunch of really cool things on their website. It's worth checking out. They also have some new gear. Some new uh, apparel items. Pretty awesome. I'm into it. Sorry everybody my microphone just hit my mouthpiece while I was swigging my beer while Kevin was talking
0: so if you heard That's that bad. noise that was because I was doing some swigging uh yeah no check out their website we they've been doing breed specific articles as well so if you're interested in those like non-Labrador breeds those are just little outliers Kevin has been helping you know work on introducing people so like for instance we had a uh molly was on here yeah molly has one of the top curly coat retrievers in the country uh she's quoted and some of the pictures of her dog are going to be in a gunner's nova scotia duck tolling retrievers like n- breeds that not everybody knows about they're doing articles on them. so you can do some reading you can get you a food crate you can get you a kennel you can get you a hat come on on kennels, baby. Next up, Traeger grills, and the only reason they're up next is because <laughs> I still got that aftertaste, baby. Of I'm my, just
1: Im- no, I'm just imagining people driving to work in the morning <laughs> in their truck with this loud enough that it's in there. They can taste you saying that. Mm, Traeger grills, smoke them if you got them. We just had oh bone in chicken thighs, their fin and feather rub. It is good. It's my favorite.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I like a couple of their other ones, but I I don't use them consistently enough. I just know I haven't disliked them. But that it's got a little bit of kick, but a little garlicky. That's why I'm going because you get a little bit of that garlic aftertaste. Like you don't want to you don't want to get too close to me. But uh, they were good. We, I did asparagus. Uncle Bob cooked tonight. I did asparagus. I did broccoli. Ro- uh, what do? Would you call it roasted? Broccoli. Roasted the broccoli. Roasted that the broccoli. asparagus. I sautéed that shiznit in some bacon grease with a little garlic powder. <laughs> As, again, man, my breath is rank, rank. rank. Uh, garlic powder. Salt, pepper, bacon, grease, asparagus in a cast iron, baby, <sniffs> uh, and then sweet potatoes, not super fancy, just in the microwave with a little butter and, uh, cinnamon. It's not bad. No. Uh, Traeger
1: day though. This is big news we got to work on getting a button to be like a, our big news button. Like, wah, 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 wah. Hit one of those buttons on our thing. We'll
0: see what we get. <laughs> <laughs> he picked the wrong one. That's that a noise was... for that. All right, pick one more. Let's just for fun.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, all right. I'm now we know, I know. It. Yeah. I know the little blue button uh, does that for when Bob's not funny. But uh, this Saturday, May 15th, if you're listening live or soon or, or not, but it is World Trigger Day. Sweet, get you some. Smoke them if you
0: got them. Welcome to the Trigger Hood. Next up, mm, Bismuth. Now, all right, I'm a. Thank you all, for 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 harassing Kent with mm, Bismuth because Kevin had a conference call with them and they were like, "Well, we've kind of been blown up by people saying mm, Bismuth." And so there's only one pe- group of people that give a crap enough to say that word in a funny way, and it's all of us listening and talking on this show. So thank you all. I think that's hilarious. And it just shows your support. So that's sick. And probably <laughs> super annoying for them. And I love
1: it. So if we have to double down, <laughs> let's on double down to their Instagram. Let's go hard in the bismuth paint. You can shoot the fast deal, but as long as you say bismuth
0: they're gonna. I love it. Ah, oh, oh, I love you guys. Uh, yeah. Well, shoot or shoot. I got nothing else. Keep saying bismuth. I love it. <laughs> I love you, Kent. Thank you. Uh, next up, Dogtra. The most consistent collars on the market with the best customer service. Great people. Uh, I gave a little shout out today on Instagram to our girl Lorraine. You did. Yeah. I didn't see that. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys are around my age. Probably some of you are younger than me. So I'm probably.
1: You're old, so definitely.
0: Well, I mean, I'm mildly probably dating myself. But, like, again, remember earlier in the podcast, the nine minutes of ads that like, we're just having fun now? where I was saying I was a shredder. Rode BMX, went to Hot Topic, had, like, yeah. a studded black belt, longer hair, Jim Morrison T-shirt. Well, I also used to listen to Taking Back Sunday and Brand New and Yellow Card and all these like
1: emo-y I could still probably sing every word to a bunch of them. The Ocean Avenue album.
0: There's a place on Ocean Avenue. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, anyways,
0: Lorraine loves that stuff too. (laughs) So whenever I post like uh, you know, my Pandora what uh what is up and i don't listen to it all the time but you know sometimes you got to bring it back so i i had it on today and i was by myself and i'm just cranked up the radio with it on and i tagged her in it so i hope she loves it because she's cool she is cool she also
1: does some good instagram lives with her and nick yeah new guy nick i don't know how new he is anymore but
0: he's not that new. he's been around a while he's smart he knows what he's doing oh no
1: Yeah, yeah yeah anyways they do some good Instagram lives and they've been interviewing tons of cool yeah. people. Dogtra like, Official. Get out. Get
0: in, get out. Quit messing about. Uh, yeah. Make every dog exceptional. That's her tagline. It's pretty good. Shock them if you got them. Nah, mm-hmm. they probably won't like that one. That's shockingly hilarious. Yeah. It's electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie.
1: Waypoint they're Outdoor gonna, Collective. Yeah, they're going to hate all of those. No, that's okay. Whatever.
0: It's funny. Yep. Uh, yeah, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Da, 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 da. I
1: had a good call with them today, too. Good people. Yeah. They're doing a lot more with their TV shows if you check out their website, Waypoint Outdoor Collective.
0: Yeah. And lastly, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our Patreon and our website. Uh, thank you all for, for joining all of that. You know, one of the things that we started the Patreon. Is we're up in the ante on equipment and bringing more value to you guys. And the other, you know, so so becoming a part of that community helps us buy this stuff and, and you know, implement bigger things to help you guys. You know, it's not like padding our wilds. We're like really reinvesting it all back into putting out more content for you yeah. um, and good content like our video editor and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah crazy but anyways it also is like if me and you and i'm you the listener like i'm sitting in your car right now I'm, I'm we're rolling up to a bar and you're like man i got this chocolate lab and he's not doing this and i give you advice we walk into the bar you're like hey man let me buy you a beer you're like "No, oh, sweet that's what it's like if you hop on our patreon.com forward slash Lone duck outfitters and just it's five bucks a month at the minimum. Other tiers get even more, but you can join our happy hours where we do live Zoom meetings. You're automatically entered to win an all-expenses-paid trip to hunt scoters with Jeff Coates, the pit boss, and Kevin and I. If you want to pay more, we can leave Kevin behind. (laughs) Whatever. It's cool. Anyways, jump on patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Buy us a beer for enjoying the show and some of the tidbits that we're helping on or maybe I've helped you on Instagram answer some questions. You know, that's all it is. And we're just asking for a little bit to help bring more to the table for you. And let's get in the show. All right. So we did a little Q&A on Instagram today and 85% of them were talking about mini tea and sitting on the whistle and challenges. So... I think the most beneficial way to handle this, Kevin, is let me talk about how I do it.
1: That's very selfish of you.
0: Well, because I think we're going to answer the questions of these a lot of these folks by just me methodically going through the process. And you can be like, hey, Clay okay. Smithers, then answers your question you you know like boom does that make sense no it does i i'd, I'd kind of like to read because it. i feel like if we read them then i'll be bouncing around and not be <laughs> methodically through the process if you want why don't you take a second i want to let's read them and then i'll do my thing
1: yeah no i i want to at least kind of give a rundown on what i don't know bullet points on what people can expect um uh, fixing soup. Uh, excuse me. Loopy sits, especially during remote and whistle sits. Uh, and good call. That was from losing Larry. <laughs> that's a good name uh, on Instagram. Um, and then, what stops us from incorporating a whistle sit when teaching puppy to sit from the beginning? Why not just start there? Ethan T ninety five. It's a good point um Andrew Athenson says when a transition from starting dogs at the pitcher's mound to stopping on a whistle uh do you intro casting to the right after all sorts of different things let's see so we're going to get into a bunch of this really is what we want to do we want to give a very deep dive we've done a couple really good shows uh I think or you know we've gotten feedback on uh for force fetch and force swim by with blaine check those out but we you know we've had so many questions about this that we wanted to dive in and take a second uh because finding those triggers of like when i'm looking at my dog how do i know that we're ready to move to the next step what do i do here that's what we want to get at all right here we go Oh my gosh, that was wicked long. Yeah, Bob found the I buttons I, on our controller. Speaking of things that we've purchased to try and help with our show and quality, Bob found buttons. I kind of like that tune.
0: That was shredding. All right, what? Oh, I'm just gonna go, and you're gonna jump back into like yeah yeah. yeah all yeah, right, Andrew, you. did that help? Like, but somebody asked, wouldn't it make sense to do this with? a young puppy. Yep. Yep. But it's more of a trick when they're puppies. Now, I think if you do treat training, clicker training, and they're sitting on the word sit, With a clicker, with a treat, with a, like, I don't do any, I do a treat, but I'll just say, good, hey, good dog, boom, treat. It's instantaneous, like, just like the clicker would be. Instant gratification. And that's not for everybody, but that's just how I do it. And then you overlay that with
1: tweet,
0: set, tweet, treat. And then, you know, they're three months old and you can blow a whistle and they sit. Great. It's a trick. So they're doing the behavior to earn the treat, which is good. But, well, not a but. I would add to that, that when they get older and the challenges get harder and you're pouring more uh, distractions and challenges and stress and possibly pressure, whether it's perceived or it's physical or it's collar or leash. Like it's, if you do it on a whistle with treats when they're a baby is probably going to help you, but you're still going to have to follow the process that I'm about to explain. So yes, do you have a head start? Sure. I think it's great. Do it. Do I think you're going to be further ahead of my 10-month-old puppy when your dog's 10 months old? No. Because you've got to still follow this process. I think it'll help in the beginning stages. I think it'll make things snappier when they're just figuring things out. But I think your struggles and strifes are going to be similar to what I'll go through when you start doing pressure and you start upping the ante on their expectations. So do I think it's a good idea? Yep. Yep. Do I think it's going to get you that much further ahead? Eh. And that's that. Now, here we go. We've talked about it a million times on the podcast. Force fetch is very important. Not everybody believes in it. Most people do. I do. And I think before you start. Doing sit, whistle, and mini t, and all that. I I don't think I know. Before you do mini t and pile work, you need to have force fetch done because we've created compulsion. On off turn, you know, a command is given, pressure's turned on. Complete the command, pressure's turned off. And so they're striving and motivated and learning how to learn, learning how to turn pressure off, learning how to beat pressure by complying quickly so prerequisite number one got to be collar conditioned so we collar condition at six months old give or take And we just did a video with prairie dog where she's well she's probably close to seven months old now i guess and uh you know we've done a lot of the treat training a lot of the leash work a lot of that good stuff and she's been starting collar conditioning and um you know, so now it's it's basically time to start force fetch. So she's halfway through collar conditioning. I'm about to jump into the hold and like getting her to hang onto a paint roller or a bumper, and then we'll start force fetch. Once she's done with force fetch, she's collar conditioned. She's force fetched. Now when I go to let's say force to a pile, oh that's the other thing. So force fetch, and then force to a pile. Forced to a pile. Let me just describe that real quick. I'm going to have short grass, white bumpers, possibly a white pole at those bumpers, and they're probably going to be 15 to 25 feet away. So what is that, Kevin, in yardage? Not far. Three to five yards? Ten yards? Less than? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Let's say 15 yards away. Big pile of bumpers. They are, because they know fetch, and I've done my walking fetch, I've done my ladder fetch, they're leaving my side and going and picking up a bumper, bringing it back, delivering nicely to heel. Not jumping around, not going past me, not dinking around, not dropping it, picking it back up. Go get it. Bring it back. Sit down. I take it. I say fetch again. They leave. They go to the next bumper, which is a little further out. Pick it up. Bring it back to me. Sit nicely. I take it. They go back out to the next bumper that's a little further away. That's the ladder, right? Once they're through ladder, I'm going to put three or four or five bumpers at 15 feet away. And I'm going to say fetch back. Fetch back. Fetch back. And I'm giving pressure all the way to those bumpers. After two, three, four days. I stop saying fetch back and I just say back with continuous pressure. Okay. I've I've transitioned the word fetch out of it and now I've just taught back and I'm putting pressure and and a continuous a low level, doesn't have to be crazy. Low level, continuous pressure, little little uncomfortability, and they get to the bumper and the pressure's turned off. And hey, good dog. Here. Sit. Good. Okay. So they're doing that. At that point, I'm going to make the pile a little further away, but I'm not going 100 yards. I'm going maybe 40, right? Like we don't need to burn them out doing 100-yard wind sprints up and down a field, forcing them to the pile. We need to do 30, 40 yards, and I'm going to intermix my pressure. For a little while, it's going to be continuous all the way to it. Then it's going to be continuous from my side. And once they leave my side, I'm going to turn the pressure off. And then midway, I'm going to say back with a little pressure. Back. Back, Nick, back, basically. So they're getting in root force. That's what that's called. in root force. And then I might even do a little back as soon as they're getting to the pile. Pick that sucker up quick. And get back here. Good dog. Okay? So that's... And then i'll do i'll, I'll sit them in front of me pile is maybe 10 yards well i'm getting a little ahead of myself but i'm gonna force back while i'm casting back so i give a right back with my right hand straight up and i'm gonna give a little the command back with a little zing zing and they're gonna spin to the right and go and get it and then i'm gonna do that a bunch and I'm going to go and move to the left a little bit. I'm going to lift my left hand straight up. And I'm going to cast left back. And so I'm doing forced to the pile with a little bit of casting. I would enter, I would call this all forced to the pile. This is not mini T. This is not really casting. This is still forcing to the pile. Leave on the word back and go. Now... While I'm doing this, the dog is learning the whistle sit. So when I got a dog in formal obedience and they're collar conditioned, when I'm walking them at heel and I stop, their next move is to sit. And I've conditioned this. I've done this so many times that every time I stop, they sit. It's just become second nature, whether I lift up on the lead or um you can do a healing stick a little pop on the booty speaking of i'm defrosting a pork butt for the old traeger this weekend pretty pumped about that i got some is bringing me meat church rub never heard of it (laughs) get on instagram bro even on instagram nope Meat, meat church um Sorry, I got distracted thinking of big old sweaty booties on my Traeger. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, so the healing stick is a great tool. Um, it can be just like an e-collar, just like a choke chain, just like anything else. It can be abused, but it's a phenomenal tool to work the dogs at heel and on sit and all that. So I'm going to integrate the healing stick and, and do a little tap on the butt and the maneuver, if you can close your eyes while you're listening to this, unless you're driving, is to have the healing stick in my, well, two ways. One way is the leashes in my right hand, dogs on my left side, leashes in my right hand, healing stick is in my left hand. And it's cocked. It's pointed up towards the sky. And when I stop, I say sit, and from pointing from the sky, I go from midnight to six o'clock. Up, down, and back up. Okay, so it's, it's, it's not down near the dog's butt. And when I have to swat, it comes up and then down. It's already up and it just comes down. Does that make sense, everybody? So it's already up in the air. I stop, I lift up on the lead, and I come right down on the butt. And it's some dogs, it's barely a touch. Other dogs, it can be a little bit more. It depends on the dog. And then once I do that for a few days, uh, and that's pretty good, then I'll collar condition the sit, and it's verbal. All of this is verbal, by the way. And so walking at heel, I stop. I say sit. I give continuous pressure until the ball hits the ground. Good dog. And this is low level. It's... uh, their normal working level, right? We've talked about that during collar conditioning chats. Like if your dog is on a 1900S, you know, the old dog tra, it's probably on a 15 to a 25. Nothing crazy out of 127. That's just a light stimulation. You say, you stop, you say sit, continuous pressure, butt hits the ground. Hey, good dog. Pressure turned off. Now, now we're going to integrate the whistle all at heel all on lead dogs already doing it verbally it is ingrained that when you stop they're sitting now i'm gonna go back to the lead no stick no collar back to the lead i am walking at heel i stop i say sit then i go
1: tweet
0: so remember before you know five minutes ago when i was talking about fetch back Fetch back, fetch back. And then after a few days, I just say back. Same idea with the whistle. So I'm going to say sit, tweet, sit, tweet, sit, tweet. And I'm overlaying and intermingling the whistle. Easy peasy. Now they're doing it pretty good where I'm just lifting up on the lead. They already know what is to be expected of them. When I stop, they should sit. So they're doing pretty good. But I'm going sit, tweet. Now I'm going to take two, three days. I'm going to do the old healing stick again. And now I'm not going to say sit anymore. It's just going to be the lead and the stick. So I'm walking at heel. I stop. Tweet. Stick. Walk at heel. Tweet. Stick. Walk at heel. Tweet. Stick. Good dog. Do that for two, three days. Then I go to the collar. Tweet. Continuous. Butt hits the ground. All at heel. So over the course of, let's say, 10, 12 sessions of this, you've got a dog that is collar conditioned to sit, collar conditioned to sit on a whistle, understands the healing stick, get the butt on the ground quickly, and we're moving and shaking, baby. That is how I teach a dog to sit on a whistle at heel. Boom. Done. So in all of this, we're doing force to a pile we're doing marks we're doing we're we're training but this is just a little session before work or a little session on your lunch break or whatever it's it's five ten minutes you don't have to go crazy but in the course of a week to 12 14 days you got a dog that's sitting on a whistle at your side real sexy like now I am going to sit the dog, and this is the only time, generally speaking, that I call a dog off a of sit. Remember, we've talked about this in obedience. I sit the dog down, and I go back to the dog and reward them and, and take them off a of sit. Um, that's how you get a dog to sit still and or sit on a dog stand and not jump off and come to you or creep towards you or scoot their butt towards you. You sit down, and you stay there until I come back to you. So this is this is breaking my rule, but it's for a purpose. So I set the dog down 25 yards away from me. I call them to me. Kevin, here. He starts coming towards me.
1: Tweet set, tweet set, tweet
0: set. He sits. Maybe he doesn't. So many dogs on the first 2 3 days have been so conditioned that when I say here, They come all the way to me, which is the right thing to do. That they are like, what do you mean sit? You told me here. So while you're tweet, sit, tweet, sit, sit, tweet, sit, sit down, tweet, sit. No pressure yet. Just get them to do it. Get them to do it out in front of you. I don't want them to come to heal. And so I will use my body language to physically... Uh, intimidate would probably be the word, step towards them. So as I'm blowing my whistle and saying sit, I take like hard steps towards them. And they're like, oh crap, I'm going to sit. And then they sit and you're like, good boy, Kevin. What a dog, Kevin. And they get it. It might not be the first session, but I bet you it is because you've done all the homework for the first you know 10 days of doing it at your side that they start to get to sit out in front of you facing you so sit them down call them to you tweet sit tweet sit whatever you got to do to get them to sit in front of you and then you're going to start overlaying that collar tweet sit a little bit of continuous but his ground and they're going to get a little buggy they're going to get a little bit of weird they're going to you know, you've forced them to hear, so that might make a dog hustle up and get to you quicker. Like, you got to play the game. I don't know what your dog's going to do. Your dog might do it perfect. Your dog might run away. I don't know. I hope it doesn't run away. But they get funny, but it's a learning curve. They don't know what you want from them. So it takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. You don't have a dog that sits on a whistle in three sessions. I promise you that. It takes time and practice to get a dog that whenever you blow the whistle they stop and this is how we do it so now that i've got the dog sitting 25 yards away from me coming to me this is not on my t pattern field this is not anywhere crazy it's just maybe in my yard or just off in a no man's land area sit them down call them to me tweet they sit I might give continuous pressure. I want them to feel E collar pressure on set and be okay with it. It's not a punishment. This is a, the faster my butt hits the ground, the faster the pressure is turned off and I get a good dog. So you're just doing reps of this. Now you're doing force to a pile. So I'm, I'm practicing my pile work. And at this point I'm pretty much done with pile work. So they're going and coming religiously they've been forced properly so they know when i say back they better go now they get a bumper in their mouth and they're they're coming towards me
1: tweet sit tweet sit sit
0: tweet i take steps towards them to quote unquote intimidate them into a sit good dog no pressure day one no pressure on the collar just physical your body moving towards them your voice saying sit Good, good dog. Sit down. Tweet. Sit. Good. Here. Call them all the way back in. Now, when you do this, you want to intermix it because if you do it, if you run to the pile fifteen times and you stop them fifteen times coming back, meaning like go get it, come back, stop them, come all the way back. Go get it, stop them, or you know go get it, come back, stop them, come all the way in. And you do it 15 times every single time, now they're gonna anticipate the whistle and they're gonna slow down on their return. So we wanna intermix it. If you do pile work, 15 bumpers, stop them seven times, six times. You're practicing, but you also don't wanna lose momentum on coming back where they're anticipating the whistle and they're starting to get sluggish. Like, are you gonna blow it? Are you gonna, am I coming all the way? Are you gonna blow it? And you're gonna get the smart dog that. They're going to look at you as they're coming back and they're like, he's got his whistle in his mouth, I'm going to slow down and stop. Or he doesn't have his whistle in the mouth, I'm going to haul butt back. I mean, they're freaking smart animals. So just these are all okay things. They're learning. But that's how I get the dog to sit with a bumper in their mouth. Now we're ready to to crush, okay? We're starting to teach. This dog is starting to truly understand the whistle means sit. No matter what, whether you got a bumper in your mouth, whether you're at heel, whether whatever's going on. Now, in the meantime, pile work, forced to a pile is done. So while I'm doing this sit stuff, I'm also going to be starting mini T or three handed casting. Same thing in my book. Somebody else might have a different book, but in my book, it's just two words, same thing, same meaning. Oh, here we go. Kevin, you follow me? How am I doing, buddy? You look good. That's about it. <laughs> uh, well, hold on. Let me take a swig. I'm parched.
1: I think I, I think maybe we should take a couple, like, we're doing good, but I want to make sure that people can follow. I don't know. I guess it's hard to do it audibly. I just want to make sure, because you're moving right along, and I want to make sure that people can, like, take a second and be like, all right, Yeah. All right, I can see it. That makes sense. Yeah, I hope you know I hope your
0: imagination is booming right now because I, as I'm describing it, I'm seeing dogs I'm currently training doing this. So I'm trying to methodically describe what they would maybe do, not do, and how I would handle it. All right, let's get into mini-T. So I start with one pile. And I don't care really what pile you do, but I'll, I will probably stick to the back casts for right now because, remember, we've done a little bit of force work on the right backs. Now, again, I want you to envision this. Get your imagination hat on. We are at a pitcher's mound. Dog is sitting at pitcher's mound facing me. I'm at home plate. Now, a big tee pattern, I got a big, like a real baseball field. Imagine a real baseball field. That's that's the real tee pattern. This is mini tee. This is three-handed casting. This is mini. The piles are 15 feet away from the dog. If that, and it's short grass, white bumpers, can't miss them. If they go where you tell them to go, they're going to see bumpers and get success. This is not a blind retrieve. If you're doing this with orange bumpers or taller grass, you are wrong, my friends. Don't do that. White bumpers, short grass, go to a golf course, go to a soccer field. Do it in your front yard in short, green, beautiful, luscious grass. Short. Okay? So now, we got the back
1: pile. So you're at pitcher's mound with the dog. How much... Before... Sorry, I tried to catch you early. How how much field should people be mowing like is this something that we could do in my backyard my regular suburban fenced in little quarter acre just mow it tight yeah
0: just i mean ankle deep grass yeah in in three inch white bumpers that sit on top of the grass if the dog turns the way they're supposed to go and don't go to a bumper you're messing it up they need to see the bumpers. This is not a blind retrieve. Got me. So they're sitting at the pitcher's mound. You're just in front of them. Okay. So it's it's the mini home plate. It's it's it. I mean, six feet away, eight feet away. I don't know. Not far. And have you ever heard the term English on a cue ball in the billiards, the pool?
1: Yeah, shooting pool, pool. A little English on there yeah that means you're hitting the
0: cue ball at a on its edge basically and it's gonna kick it a certain way I'm doing the same thing with a dog so if I want a right back cast I'm gonna take two steps to my right and I'm gonna raise my right hand up and say back now because I've created this English, the dog is going to fade with me. I don't want him to move because I told him sit. But they're going to like lean into the right a little bit. And I'm going to cast back and they're going to spin to the right. And I'm going to do that for a day. And then I'm going to go to a left back. And I'm going to step two steps to the left and lift my left hand straight up. And they're going to spin to the left. And I'm going to do that for two, three days. And then I'm going to do a right overpile. And there's no back pile now, just a right over pile. And I sit them down, and I cast them over. Now, meanwhile, I slow down. Meanwhile, every time I give a right, all right, let's let's back up completely. I create English. I lift my right hand up. Dog spins to the right, picks up the bumper. Good dog. They're coming back to me with the bumper. Tweet, get them to sit with the bumper in their mouth. We've already practiced this with your pile work. They sit in front of you. You step up, take the bumper from the dog, take a couple steps back, toss the bumper behind you or put it in a bucket or something, cast them back again. Go get it. So every time I'm doing mini tea, I go sit, tweet, back. They go and get it. Tweet, they sit, I take it tweet back. And so I'm blowing the whistle before I give a cast and I'm blowing the whistle when they come back with the the bumper. So they're getting many, 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 many reps during mini T on this whistle and this sit. And that this whistle means, look at me, I'm about to tell you where to go. And then they get success and then we're good. So we're building plenty of reps during mini T on that whistle sound. So now fast forward back to where I was right overs. So tweet over, cast the dog over. They pick it up, meet them in the middle. I do not want them coming back to heal. Okay. And this is where I really need you to kind of close your eyes. And we have a YouTube video of Roscoe doing three-handed casting. So maybe check that out. Cause he did it well, but he he didn't know what he was doing yet either. So it was like a dog messing up and me helping him and all that jazz. But So that would be a visual way. But for me describing it, when you do a right over, I don't want them to come back to you at heel. I want you to meet them back at the pitcher's mound and get them to kind of spin in front of you and tweet. And it's going to take two, three days of getting them comfortable to not come back to heel. And so you're going to meet them in the middle, get them out in front of you here, sit, sit, tweet, sit, good, and get them out in front. And if you've got to, like, move and shimmy and shake to where they don't heal next to you, like you got to juke and jive, and they sit. Hey, good dog, take the bumper, back up, cast again, and get them, meet them in the middle, jimmy, shimmy, shimmy, shakes, sit. This is building reps of being in front of you and looking towards you for a cast if you come back if they come back to heel you walk them to the pitcher's mound spin them around sit them down walk back cast them they're not getting comfortable sitting out in front of you and getting ready for a cast so it does take practice it's like dancing you're dancing with the dog getting them to do what you want getting them comfortable doing things that they haven't done before and it takes practice. It's not going to happen. Well, it's not not going to happen day one, but it's not going to be pretty day one. Day two is going to get better. Day three, it's going to get more comfortable. Day four, they're going to be doing it. No problem. But does everybody understand? I cast over to the right pile and it's 10, yard, 10 feet away in short grass. They get it. As soon as they get it, good dog, meet him in the middle, get him to sit out in front of me, however means possible no e-collar just verbal sit and blowing your whistle now you do now all right so they're doing left rights and uh left backs right backs right overs leftovers now so now i have no other pile but the leftovers tweet over they go and get it meet them in the middle leftover tweet meet them in the middle right now i'm going to do right backs so now i got two piles out a back pile and a leftover pile super simple alt mini t i'm gonna give them a right back come back sit in front of me so tweet back they go and get it tweet so they sit in front of me take the bumper left over they go and get it they come back and meet me in the middle tweet good dog right back then left over right back then left over right back Then, leftover. Right back. then leftover. Okay, now we're moving, now we're cooking. Then, that's like a day or two, no big deal. I'm not going crazy, but day or two, they're getting good at it. I've already done it alone, so they're, they're crushing. Now, I go to right-overs and left-backs. And now, let's think about this. The reason I do this, where the reason I do right-backs and left-overs is because I blow my whistle and my right hand is up. My left hand is no man's land. You know, it's kind of like uh Ricky Bobby where he's getting interviewed and he doesn't know what to do with his hand, so both hands come up in the screen, right? Like I don't know what to do with my hands, I don't know what to do with my hands. So if I've got one hand up and it's my right hand, that dog knows I'm going somewhere to the right. Right back, right over, but I'm going to the right. He goes to the right. Okay then I got my left hand up. He knows he's going to the left. Where am I going? It's going to be to the left. Okay. So I'm taking a decision out of his mind. If I got both hands up, anything possible. So I'm taking a little bit of decision out of his head. I'm simplifying a little bit. Then if I do right backs and right overs, you're going to get a dog that makes a bunch of mistakes and they're going to get frustrated and they're not going to know how to succeed. So again, because I'm doing a right back and then a left over, I'm simplifying and breaking it down for the dog. So if they see the right hand up and I give a right back, they're not going to do a left over 98% of the time because I've taken that decision out of their head. They saw the right hand. I've practiced it. This is not day one. This is day 10. Okay. Okay. We're crushing it now. So we're doing right backs, left overs, left backs, right overs. Now you can do all the T, all the mini T. So you got a back pile, a right over pile, and a left over pile. And now I can go right over, left back, right back, left over, left over, right back, left back, right over. And I can play with them a little bit. They're sitting out in front of me. They're crushing the whistle sets. Here we go. Now it's time to do big T, baby. And this is is this is a just self-proclaimed it's it's not my favorite thing to do. I am bored with it by this point that we've been doing this crap for ten days, two weeks, you know, from it's just boring to me. but being being good at it is and being precise at it and being diligent with it is going to make running blinds easier and better and a dog who's more confident and so this is not something that you do this is not a one-month process this is not a go out and train three days a week on it and in a month you're you're done and you can go run blinds this is something for me as a professional dog trainer that takes six eight ten weeks i do it until the dog can't screw it up okay so now I go to my big T pattern field and I got white poles at the back pile, white poles at the over piles. And I got white bunch of white bumpers and I actually mow a tee in the field. Now, maybe you can't do that. Maybe you're going to the local soccer field that you're in your neighborhood or something. So you can't mow that, but you can take white poles and white bumpers to this. Again, this is not blind retrieves, well, you know, Orange bumpers are no, no no white poles where they don't know where they're going. Like, they aren't hunting. They aren't running a blind. When they turn and spin and do it right, they should know where they're going. But I'm going to break it down for a few days on the big T Because remember, they've been taking a right over, and the bumpers have been right there, 10 foot away. Now I'm going to make them 25 yards away. And my leftovers are 25 yards away. And my right backs are 25 yards away. And I'm going to simplify. I might spend a day on right backs and leftovers right there. I might have to establish the pile. And that means take a bumper, throw it to the back pile, and cast them. Now, one of the things that the old pterodactyl, Kakao, Blaine Tarnicki, he he showed me, and I, I really liked it, is... Instead of establishing the pile, force them to the pile. So what that would mean is like how I used to do it is I would throw a bumper 25 yards to the right over pile, blow my whistle, and the dog would be staring at that pile because he's like, I just saw a mark go there. And then, you know, I'd, you know, go, hey, deep, deep, tweet, sit, good, sit, look at me, good, sit, and cast him. As soon as he looked at me, I'd cast it's not wrong. I've trained a boatload of dogs that way. And so now once he goes and gets that one, I can cast him to it a couple times because he's been there. I established the pile. and You still can do that. But what Blaine does is he meets him at the pitcher's mound, lines them up to the overpile like a straight, like he's sending him straight back. So he's lined up perfectly. Tail, spine, head, all facing the overpile lined up with you and you say back and you put pressure on it so you're forcing him to the overpile. he comes back maybe you force him again and then you sit him down blow your whistle you're standing in front of him and you cast over so he's been forced that way you can even put a little zing zing on your overcast and you're creating a compulsion to go over and you can do the same on the back and you can do the same on the left over okay and I've done that with uh, this crew of young dogs that I've got now. You know, Hank, Maya, Ace, Drake. Who else did I do that with this winter? And it was good. It it was good. I would say Ace is the only one that had a problem with it because he wouldn't go unless I put a little zing zing. Like he was waiting for the compulsion to begin before he would leave
1: why do you think that is compared to some of the other dogs
0: it's just confusion so i would look at him as like he's a hard driving dog and he wants to do right so i think he was worried to make a mistake so he was choosing to not do anything by sitting still nothing was happening to him unless and then when i put the pressure on him then he'd be like oh i know what to do go
1: over so do you think it's a lack of confidence
0: yeah. Confusion, lack of confidence, unsure, unclear. Maybe I didn't teach it thoroughly with him. Like it could be completely Bob Owens. Like that's training. Like I'm not perfect. I could right. have, I, I could have yeah, yeah. breezed through something with him while the other dogs were doing really well. I should have spent three more days with him on this. But because you get in a groove with a group of dogs and they're like sort of at the same pace, like I jump ahead a little bit and then you got to look at your scenario and say like, mm. I should have done this more with that dog, and so it—it's probably not probably—it's on me, like my—it's on me, just like it's on the listener to do it there, you know, to do it right. Um, but he had a he had a sticking point, so he would turn and sit on the whistle and doing T pattern. He was like going and stopping and doing everything right, but but if I gave him a, an overcast, it was never on a backcast; so it was always on the overcast. And he just would stand there and look at the pile and look at me and look at the pile and look at me. Like he knew that he was supposed to go to it. But until I did a little pressure. So I don't know. All I know is it did a, it was good. But anyways, let's move on. So now I'm at this like I call it the big mini T. So I have a little mini T, regular mini T, the three-handed casting, and then I go to my big T pattern field and I break it down for them there where I show them that it's the same thing, it's just a little bit bigger. And then I send them to the back pile from home plate. So now that's maybe 70 yards away, 80 yards away. And my over piles are, you know, 25, 30 yards from the pitcher's mound. And I send them straight back. I send them straight back. I send them straight back. I send them and I stop them. And usually when I stop them, I actually move up. So my pitcher's mound is more like, 10 yards away from the pitcher's mound instead of 25 yards away from the pitcher's mound. And that helps them not gain so much momentum and keep driving back. But anyways, that's how I start and I get them and, and they might not sit right. They might sit, but they're facing away. If There's if they sit facing away, you just say here with the whistle in your mouth, always, always, always have the whistle in your mouth. Okay. Don't try and fumble with it and grab it, and you're late. Always have the whistle in your mouth ready. So back, whistles in my mouth, tweet, and they're facing the wrong way. Here, tweet. So as soon as they turn and face me, tweet, good dog, cast them. So now remember uh, 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, when I was saying you don't, when you were forcing to a pile, and I said something to the effect of like, if I'm sending a dog to the back pile 15 times, I want to stop them six on the way back. Same with T pattern. You want to overdo going straight back and dig into the back pile. So, for instance, I, when I set up my, when a dog is good at going, stopping, and casting, and they might screw it up, it doesn't matter. The point is, they go all the way to the back pile. They go all The way to the back pile, they go all the way to the back pile, they go. I stop them, I cast them. They come back, they go all the way to the back pile, they go all the way back pile, they go. I stop them, I cast. Then they go all the way to the back pile, they go all the way to the back pile, they go. I stop them, I cast. Now, let's say for Ace, for an example, for what right now, right overs are his thing, he's struggling. Leftovers, he's fine. Right backs, he's fine. Left backs, he's fine. But right overs, he's just still stalling on me and is what it is. So, I've been doing more right overs to get more reps, but I still can't stop him every time in the middle. If I stop him too many times in the middle, his momentum is going to slow down. He's going to anticipate the whistle. He's going to pop. Popping means they stop before you blow the whistle and look at you anticipating a cast or out of lack of confidence or confusion. And that's a no, no, we don't want that. We want that dog's default is to drive back. Now
1: let's take a second.
0: Kevin, how am I doing?
1: I need a swig of beer. You look worse than before, but it seems to be going pretty well. I feel like we're moving at a good pace in terms of being able to break it down and paint a picture for people so that It's digestible, but I guess now let's
0: talk about problems. Thank you. I just had to wet my whistle problems. I got the dog back at home plate and I send them on back to the back pile. A lazy ass dog will leave your side and go to the over pile. Why do they do that? A, maybe you didn't line them up right. Maybe you didn't take your time to make sure. And and on this, I don't, like, spend five minutes lining them up for the back pile. This isn't, you know, I get them good, and I get them right, and I send them. I don't nitpick here because nitpicking takes away confidence. But if their tail, spine, head is looking at the back pile, good right there, back. Send them. But a lazier dog will leave your side and be like, hmm that overpile is way closer than the back pile and they'll veer off the line and go to the back pile. Or excuse me. They'll veer off the line and go to the overpile. No here. If they do it again, no here with continuous pressure. And and, And when they're screwing up, I simplify by moving forward closer to the back pile. What that does is the overpiles when you're all the way at pitcher's mound are in their vision. So if you're closing your eyes, unless you're driving, and you're at pitcher's mound, you got your third base and your first base, those are your overpiles, and your second base is your back pile. And when the dog is at home plate, they can see the left over and the right over piles. And they've got to choose to dig straight back through them, through the pitcher's mound, and all the way to the back pile. Well, that's a lot harder than saying, huh, those overpiles are right there. Let me go get that. But that's wrong. So no here. I don't stop them and handle them to the back pile. No here. I take a couple steps forward, and now that couple steps forward makes those left and right overpiles more in their peripheral and less in their foresight. Is that right, Kevin? Foresight? Foreskin. Foresight. Field of view. Field of view. So the further I move up, the less those over piles are going to influence them to make a bad choice. So I get a couple good ones going to the back pile by moving forward, and then I back back up to the original spot I started, and I send them again. And I just go straight back. I don't even stop them. If they do that a couple times on me on going to the left pile, then guess what? We're going straight back like six times. We're going to knock that out. You better go back. Once we get that ironed out, then I'll stop them again and handle them. And remember, it's the same idea as mini T. If I give a left back, then I'm going to send them straight back, send them straight back. I stop them. I give them a right over. So left back, right over, right back, left over. Left over, right back, right over, left back. Does that everybody make sense? Like I, until the dog is damn near done, I'm not giving a right over and a right back. It's always the opposite. So right back, left over. Left back, right over. Okay. And always default on going to the back pile. I want a dog digging. I don't want a dog slowing down, checking up, popping, stopping in the middle, anticipating the whistle, or slowing down, anticipating the whistle. That's another thing you'll notice. If you're stopping the dog too much, you're going to see them leave your side at like a medium pace, and they're gonna get past the pitcher's mound and kick it into normal gear and high gear. Cause they're like, well, if I stay at this pace, it's easier to slow down, okay? Now, once we start getting pretty good at this, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's getting pretty good. I'm gonna start hammering down on sitting collar, okay? With the collar. So if they're, if like loopy sit, we had a question uh, on our Instagram about a loopy set. If you've got a loopy sit and, and you're running blinds, go back to T-Pattern. Can you explain a little bit on um, what like a loopy sit is? Y- yeah. All right, a loopy set. If I'm running a blind and I blow my whistle, that dog better spin around, turn around, drop it like it's hot, and look at me. And no matter how fast or slow they are, it should be within reason on that same line doesn't have to be perfect but it, it can't be like slow down big loop and now they're 20 yards off of line that's a loopy set that will get you in trouble hunting that will get you in trouble at hunt tests if i blow the whistle and they laxadaisical make this little lazy loopy sit and they're way offline now now they're way further than the bird you need to go and get duck hunting or running a hunt test so I need to have a crisp, clean, quick sit. And on T-Pattern, once they're pretty good at it, now I can apply pressure on that sit. If you've got a quote-unquote older dog, you've already done T-Pattern and they're good at T-Pattern, and you go to run in blinds and your, your blinds are, are mediocre because the dog has a loopy sit, take that sucker back to T-Pattern and drop the hammer on sit. It is a non-negotiable, you hear the whistle, but hits the ground. And so I'm using continuous pressure. Doesn't have to be a lightning bolt. Can be. I don't mind it. It depends on the dog, but it better be a quick set. And the reason why we do it in T-pattern, and the reason why we make sure that the dog understands what they what we're asking of them, is you can sap the confidence away from them If you're putting pressure on the sit whistle and they're not fully understanding which way you want them to go, what you're asking of them. And so if you're cranking up the e collar on sit whistle, but they're not good at casting, then they're going to be like, well, did I go the wrong way? Well, did I, what, what are you asking of me? I don't understand. And now you're going to create problems. And that might be what I did with ACE, right? Like just self-reflecting, like he would make a bad cast. I'd, correct it i'd maybe nick him on the collar i'd cast him again he'd make a problem but then he would have a little bit of a loopy sit so i was getting on the collar too so he's probably got a gray area in his head where he's like well if that wasn't right and that wasn't right am i getting nicked because of the sit am i getting nicked because of the collar or uh the cast like what am i getting nicked for so i'm just not going to do anything so I want to make sure that they're pretty darn good at casting and confidently going where I want. And then I'm going to up the ante on my sit whistle and really hone in a quick sit. And again, the reason why if you have a loopy sit on your blinds, why we go back to T pattern is let's revisit somewhere that they know and put pressure on them somewhere that they know. Like if you got a good dog and they always take your casts on T pattern, then they're not worried that, hey, I should have gone left when he said right. They're like, oh, I better sit down quicker because I didn't sit down quick enough. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I'm following you. I feel like it. it was something that you say a lot that I, I like is that, you know, you, you do it until the dog can't get it wrong. And it's this is an area where we have people come out and train and stuff like that. And you just – this is – uh, this yeah, is the go number back to one This, like, go back to this. You, this you, is the you,
0: number one thing people breeze through. Right. Because it's not super fun. They do it three times a week because that's what their job and family and everything is allows. They do it maybe one time a week and they do it for a month. That means four times, six times, eight times. No, I'm doing it four to six days a week and it's for six to eight weeks. So I'm doing it seventy five times. I'm making sure it's dialed in. Right. And then going back, I just want to emphasize what I'm saying here. If you've got a dog that is already capable of running blinds and you've got a loopy sit, you go back to T pattern because they understand T pattern. You're not, if I put a ton of pressure on a loopy sit in the field and then you cast them and they take a bad cast and you stop them and nick them or you stop them and cast them again, and you stop them and, cast and, and you're getting into this little battle out there, but their loopy sit is getting collar pressure. You're going to take all the confidence away. They're not going to know what you're asking of them. Did I take a wrong cast? Did I not sit quick enough? Did I go the wrong way? What do you want from me? I don't know. I'm getting frustrated. I quit. That's what they're thinking. So you're going to create more problems running blinds by putting a ton of pressure on a sit whistle in the field and so you go to T pattern and you spend a week or two revisiting T pattern and grinding that butt into the ground on the sit whistle. And then go and run a blind again. Don't run any blinds. Go run your marks and do T pattern and get that butt on the ground during T pattern. And they'll cast good because you've already done it right, hopefully. And then. Go back to running blinds two weeks later and tell me how it goes it'll go better so let's quickly recap and then we'll answer a few more questions that came in through our instagram but your process is must be collar conditioned must be force fetched do a thorough job at heel on teaching the sit whistle via healing stick via via lead first then healing stick then collar so at your side at heel you're getting a whistle sit crisp and nice at the end via your e-collar then you're doing the drill where the dog's 25 yards away you call them to you you get them to stop before they get to you then you're going to do that with the e-collar all Um, while you're doing force to a pile and stuff then you do your mini t remember right overs left backs Left backs, right overs, right backs, left overs. And you're, you're doing the opposite cast every time. So right back, left over, okay? Every time during mini tee, every time they need to sit, you blow the whistle. Get them to sit out in front of you. Every time you're going to cast, you're going to blow the whistle and then cast. Then you're going to go to your tee pattern, your big tee pattern, but you're going to break it down and show them again right overs, left backs, right backs, left overs. Then you're going to start trying to stop them in route to the back pile and cast. And then remember, B- Blaine Tarnacki said it, whether he made it up or somebody else did, but we do it like, no offense, but he says something to the effect of like, amateurs till the, do it until the dog does it right we do it until the dog can't do it wrong. let's say it again. Folks do it until the dog does it right. We do it until the dog can't do it wrong. So we do it over. You know, they crush it. They crush it. They crush it. Let's move on. Let's run blinds. No, they need to crush it. 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 Tighten up that set. Tighten up that set. Crush it. Crush it
1: now we move on i like that quote and and i i know or you know maybe you can reiterate the context in which it was said but we had a question come through for, on patreon i think of like you know what do you think the biggest differences between the pros that you train with and the amateurs that you train with and things like that and that's how that came out but i think it's really important to note of like why why the dogs look so crispy clean when they go home versus when somebody brings their dog and say, my dog runs blind. Yeah, my dog's running blind. It's awesome. And it's like, Sucker doesn't even sit on a whistle. How does it run a
0: blind if it doesn't sit? Right. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. Here's another thing. We got Yankee syndrome up here. So anybody above the Mason-Dixon line that has crappy winners, they only get to train from man even march is sketchy but april through october and then duck season's here so they you know most people ban training during duck season which is wrong but they do and so from all right let's count it march april may june july august september october eight months so you're getting eight months of training in take a bunch of time off. Then you get snow. Then you get ice. You're not swimming. Da 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 da. Dog sleeping on a couch, getting chubby. And then March rolls around. And now your dog is a year old and it used to know a little bit of mini tea, and you just, you're like, I'll do it for a week or two, brush him up. And I'm going to, I'm going to blinds. And so they jump into, it's like, a it's a mentality of hurry up. I got to get it done. Hurry up. Because summer's almost here and then, almost, oh my gosh, summer's almost gone and it's hunting season and I'm—and they rush. And I, I mean, we all do it. It's Yankee syndrome because we only get to train a little bit. We're folks in the south. Now their summers are a little bit tougher because it's so hot, but they're in the water year-round. They're on land year-round and they can be more methodical throughout the year and follow a program where they're not taking four months off right eight plus four is 12. uncle bob's math pretty good i hope it's right uh where yet you know they might slack during hunting season i guess but but they have nice weather where they can keep grinding year round and so what i would emphasize to us Yankees is there is no time limit on how old your dog should be to do these things there is no rush to get it done there's a rush to do it right so I don't know what that rush means to do it right might be two months might be three months might be whatever but do it right don't don't hurry up and mess it
1: up I feel like we always forget that the dog's gonna hopefully live twelve, thirteen, fourteen, a hundred years, right? This it all of these things are constant building blocks that you build and foster and maintain and things like that. Like you don't just do it for three weeks and then be done for it for the rest of their the life, rest, right?
0: Like for instance, swim by. Swim by is in essence mini tea on water in a small little pond and we did this with blaine on a podcast maybe while i'm chatting kevin can look up what episode with blaine sure uh thank you where we went in depth on swim by and de-cheating and that process that swim by i'm when like the weather's finally nice here everybody is redoing swim by my master dogs my senior dogs and then the dogs that are actually on swim by that have no idea what they're doing but we're all doing it now the master dogs it might be four or five days and they're they're crisp again the senior dogs it might be two weeks or a week and they're crisp again and the young dogs it might take because i can't really do it every day because we still have had crappy weather but I bet four days a week we've done swim by, and I will have that done in about a month. Um, so you, you, kinda, you can always go back and make sure things are right. I don't want to run a dog in a test four weeks from now and have it bomb because it didn't get back in the water. When if I had spent four or five days on swim by and did a little drill that took me 10 minutes crushing it, you know, and all of a sudden they're, they're handling better in the water again. It's just be precise, be methodical. Think about it like an athlete, like getting ready preseason training and like doing drills and getting things right and footwork like NFL players still do footwork. They were doing footwork in Pop Warner. Yet they go to the NFL and they're still doing footwork.
1: That's a great analogy. I don't know if popcorn is everywhere, but that's a great analogy. In okay. episode fifty seven with Blaine.
0: Episode fifty seven with Blaine on swim by. So if your dog's all through T Pattern and running landlines, that's another thing that I like to add is we don't jump from T pattern to swim by. We do T-pattern to lining pass and pattern blinds and white pole blinds and get dogs handling really nicely on land. Doesn't have to be perfect, but they're handling nicely. They're sitting good, and then we go to swim by. Swim by is way easier when the dog's already doing decent on land. Um, But episode what, Kevin? 57. Episode 57 with Cacao, the pterodactyl, Blain uh, I remember that actually we we're in Georgia doing that podcast I think we had a few uh, liquor drinks if I remember correctly and and we went deep dive uh, on his program for that so check that out if you want to if you're kind of at that stage um, Kevin why don't you pull up our Instagram what did you say we hit them all pretty good i mean well there were some that weren't this related but i want to answer them and i want to take it's we're an hour and 17 minutes in let's take another 20 minutes and knock that out to help everybody out okay so everybody i appreciate you i appreciate you jumping in on our instagram and and for those of you on instagram or our listeners our patreon too like I answer those questions every day. I I answer Instagram direct messages every day, hopefully, basically. Um, But you, the listeners, you know, keep us rolling, keep us motivated, keep us trying hard. So I appreciate your questions, and, Kevin, that's why we're going to answer them. So give me one real quick.
1: Do you introduce, uh, from Cody Yarish, do you introduce indirect pressure during three-handed casting? Hmm. Indirect pressure. That was
0: a question. Uh I don't know. Let me think about that for one second. So that's has to do with this whole podcast. So I appreciate that question. Indirect pressure is in essence, let's say a dog has a hard mouth and is chomping a bumper. Indirect pressure would be hold or, excuse me, direct pressure would be hold or fetch. Indirect pressure would be here and give him collar, con- collar stimulation on here. The faster he gets to me, the less likelihood he's going to chomp. He's going to worry about getting to me quickly and less worried about chomping. That's indirect pressure. I would say the answer is No. Because I would not give indirect pressure because the direct pressure that I want is a sit on a whistle. I don't think I really use pressure during three handed casting or mini tee. I'm just thinking out I'm thinking out loud right now. When would I? I guess the only time I would do it is if the dog went to the overpile and didn't pick up a bumper because it, it, it had a brain fart and didn't fetch, right?
1: But at that point in time it hit it
0: knows fetch. Right. So I'm gonna put pressure on fetch because I've already taught it. It's already been force fetch. It knows better. So I'm gonna if it goes over to the overpile and is like dinking around, no, fetch. Not indirect pressure would be like over again. Like over, over, putting pressure on over when he's staring at the bumper. No, fetch that son of a gun up. So I would say in essence, mini T three handed casting is a no pressure situation it's just practice like i'm not putting pressure on the sit whistle when they're coming back to the center on the e-collar i'm not putting pressure on any of that i'm just teaching so i would say no pressure during mini t i can't unless they don't pick up a bumper that's probably the only thing i can think of off the top of my head if they spin the wrong way if they go to the wrong pile no here So no here would be pressure. That would be like verbal pressure. That would be like perceived pressure. They know they're in trouble. They did the wrong thing. I'm going to bring them back to where they made the mistake, which is pitcher's mound. So that would be what's called attrition. I bring them back to where they make the mistake and I do it again. And I do it again until they can't do it wrong. Um, But I don't think I would really, I don't don't, don't really think I'd put pressure on it. No here. Sit. Over. They dig back, no here, sit, over. They dig back, no here, throw a freaking bumper over there, over. They're successful. Do it again, do it again.
1: So, no pressure. Swan Austin was wondering, uh, how do you tell when a dog's ready to go from three-handed casting into mini-T? It's the same thing. So,
0: yeah, how do I know? I, I think we covered it through this whole program. Good question. But pre-handed casting to me and Mini-T are the same thing.
1: I think that's uh, something we get a lot of, like the confusion. Everything yeah. has 75 different names, yeah, but they're no. all the same. All right. So we had a couple other great questions come in. Uh, there were just great questions, so we want to make sure that we answer them. And E. Sherman was wondering how often uh, – The Shermanator. (laughs) That's a throwback. Uh, Was wondering, how often do we have a breeding for labs? Got anything coming up? Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Um, Miss Sam, HRCH Sam. That's a good dog. She is a good dog. She had a badass hunting season this year with my buddy Peter,
1: the veterinarian in Texas. He's been on the show. He has been on the show. You're right. He's also made a debut appearance on YouTube a few times. You're right. Check
0: that out. He took Sam this hunting season and hunted her from Texas to South Dakota to Nebraska and Timbuktu and killed everything. She picked up hundreds of birds, and she came back like even better. Like So kudos to him because some dogs go to hunting season and to – guys and gals that don't do this for a living and they get a little sloppy you know a little breaking little little sloppy and nah she's she's better than she when she went she's just good man so uh we're gonna run her in some master tests in june but she's due to come into heat any day now and so if let's say she came into heat tomorrow today's may 10th 15th whatever you know um Four months from now would be May, June, July, August. Puppies would be ready to go home basically. It's August, September time frame. So, you know, that'll be one. Um, Cruz is probably gonna take a year, is gunning to take a year off. And we haven't decided if we're gonna breed her again. She's had three litters, totally healthy dog. Four litters is is standard, but we haven't really decided if we're gonna do it or not. Uh I've got a young dog named Izzy that my aunt owns, but I do too. And she's stacked pedigree, awesome dog. I put a title on her, and we're waiting for her to come into heat. Like she will, she's gonna throw some good looking puppies. Shout out to Adam Campbell, yeah, at uh, Hillside Kennel, uh, Hillside Retrievers, Hillside Retrievers, I think, on Instagram. His podcast, The Dog House with Adam and Jimmy, is lighting the world on fire. So you all need to, you all love this podcast. You're going to love Adam and Jimmy's podcast called The Dog House. It is so much fun to listen to, and maybe it's partially because I know those boys, and they're just awesome guys, and they're fun, and just, they've done a great job. But Adam trained Izzy's dad. Izzy's dad is qualified all age, master national dog. I saw him. He, Adam and I ran a test in Georgia? Georgia. And I I got to watch him run, and he was throwing down. He was a nice dog. So it's awesome. Yeah, they'll be really, really great puppies. Uh, other than that, I think that's probably it for the year is Sam and maybe Izzy. I can't think of anybody else. So, yeah. Small time breeding, yeah. We're not, we're not cranking them out. We're,
1: we're trying to do right. Uh, Alavera. Uh, says it got a nine month old wire her pointer. Uh, will not retrieve the hand when I say here. Uh, and just kind of wants to like run around and uh, not necessarily come right back to them and get, keep the bump themselves. Yeah, I got gotcha. you.
0: First off, um. Should have bought a lap. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, nah, I'm teasing you. Um, you know, nine months old, man. You're, we just talked about this. Get it right before you move forward. But So to me, put a check cord on the dog and make them come to you. Then. When they get to you, don't take the bumper or anything right away. Pet them. Let them carry it. Let them hold it. Just pet them and then take it. If you take it right away, they're like, damn, I just went out and got this thing and now you're snatching it from me. Let them enjoy it for a second. So they get back to you and you've got your check cord on so you can reel their butt in. Just pet them for a second. You don't have to pet them for five minutes. Just pet them. Hey, good dog. Rub, rub, rub. Take it. tools tips or like little tips have a second bumper in your back pocket grab your hat off the top of your head and flip it like a you know just like wop, 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 flip your hat and it'll you know get them excited and entice them show them the extra bumper they bring you back the one bumper flip the other one immediately so they're getting instant gratification of another retrieve because they brought you that one so they're going to start doing it quicker because the quicker i bring this one the quicker i get another one okay and then become a little less maybe possessive of of the retrieve. And then get that right. I mean, you can do treats too. But get that right, tighten it up a little bit, and then I would say it is time for force fetch. And and that process in episodes what, Kevin 62 and 63, 63 64, or something like that. We talked about on the last podcast. I forget what Around there, yeah. We did a two-parter in-depth, just like we did this episode, step-by-step-by-step-by-step on Force Fetch. And uh, that's where you're at, man. I mean, I do it at six, seven, eight months old. You're at nine months. Let's go. Andrew was wondering, uh,
1: do you do double marks before casting? Eh. You can.
0: You can. I think I don't well that's depends. not true yeah yeah it depends not. on the dog yeah depends on their marking ability depends on their steadiness depends on how their you know badassery they are um but i would err on the side of you can simplify things and do like a 180 right so like i got uh two bumpers in my hand which i'm not a proponent of hand thrown bumpers but i got two bumpers in my hand i throw one out turn 180 degrees throw one out and the dog has to come to me to get to the next bumper so they get that bumper come back to me i i greet them i grab them i snatch the check cord or lead or steady tab and i get them i take my time i line them up and i send them for the second one we did a massive episode with kevin chef the retriever coach and he's a major proponent of big white bumpers and very short grass like shorter than golf cart uh, course grass and he does doubles at a younger age than I've ever learned and done so th- I think teaching doubles at a young age is smart it builds memory it's all good um, but I look at it like don't get too big for your britches don't worry about doubles that much Get the fundamentals right, doubles will come, triples will come. They all can do it. Um, but fundamentals are really important. And I also err on the side of I like to have force fetch done so you're not dinking around with them like dropping the bumper halfway back to you and trying to chase the other bumper down. Like it's to me, it's fundamentals. So by having force fetch done, they bring you the bumper they get first and then you can take your time and make sure they're looking out good and remember where they're supposed to go, and then you can send them. If they don't have force fetch done, anything can happen. They can go, not pick it up, run around, try and get the other one, then run back to the other one, and then run back to the other one, and you you don't don't have no tool in the tool belt to make them get what they want or which one you want. So I like to have force fetch done. I like to have them pretty steady. They don't have to be perfect, but they got to be pretty steady. And then I introduce doubles. That's how I do it.
1: Kevin L.W. was wondering if you had any advice for finding a good breeder. This is a good question. It's a great question.
0: Man, that's a really good question. What constitutes a good breeder? When you're looking for a dog. Yeah, I mean, i bought a bunch of them lately. Yeah, Prairie Dog.
1: Jolene, she'll be here June 5th. Pumped about Jolene. What do you so? So what do you look? You might look for something different than than what other. No, I look for the same. I look okay, for the same, so yeah. what do you look for?
0: Health, intelligence, athleticism, drive, good looks, color, trainability, and so when i'm doing this there are things that help me make that decision health that's a no-brainer if you find a quote-unquote breeder someone who's bred purebred labradors purebred goldens purebred chessies akc registered right they got papers that's a common thing my dog's got papers Great. Well, what do those papers say on them? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, not, nothing. Nothing. It's just names on a piece of paper. Right. But there's things on that paper that are very important. Health clearances are one of them. Health clearances, depending on the breed, are are specific. So golden retrievers have different genetic problems that a Labrador doesn't really have. Labradors have genetic problems that golden retrievers don't typically have and da 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 da, down the line so you have to pick a breed that you want research common genetic problems so for labradors the most common ones and this goes for every sporting breed but hips and elbows you you get your dogs hips and elbows x-rayed at two years old and they go through the ofa or pen hip and they're scored good excellent fair poor pen hip has a number range and the number range tells you how good or poor they are it's a little bit harder for me to describe because i'm not that savvy in it um we've already gone through your inability to do numbers right but but you know truthfully it's it's not rocket science i just can't describe it without reading it so um but pen hip scores are important or OFA are important so that's your base level like base level oh they got good hips and normal elbows you're either normal or you're bad like dysplastic um hips are as far as OFA goes are excellent good fair poor um you want dogs out of good or excellent fair and poor send them down the road. Next up would be EIC, exercise-induced collapse, and CNM, centronuclear myopathy. Both of those are very easy. It's a cheek swab. You send it in, and it's like pff, 50 bucks. I mean, if, if someone... If that. Yeah, it's not expensive. Then there are other, like, it's a Labrador, like, pan, they call it a panel. So I send that cheek swab in and I get the Labrador panel and it knocks out every genetic thing that a Labrador could have and you test for it. So like we talk about Silver Labs, you know, that would be a dog that's non-dilute. So if you have Silver Labs, like God bless you if you got one, I'm I'm sure you love your dog and I'm not knocking it. I kind of care less like to each his own, but it's a genetic mutation of the breed. There are health concerns that are related to that coloration and therefore good breeders responsible breeders don't want to breed that color because most of the breeders most if not all who are breeding for that mutation only want the color because it's a fad right now and therefore they're not worried about the hips and the elbows and this and that and the intelligence and the coat you know density and whatever the hunting capabilities They're just worried about, hey, I got two dogs that have that genetic genetic mutation, and they breed a silver. Okay, so you go through this whole panel, and your dog clears out, right? You're good. Then they can have an eye test done, and their eye test determines like clarity and lesions, and and like. Sciencey yeah. veterinarian shit that Uncle Bob knows, but it's hard. It's hard for me to describe. But like, if like me and Kevin, we got perfect vision, don't we? No big deal. No big deal. Everybody else around us has glasses and whatnot. They would probably score poorly on a eye exam with OFA, right. or, or I think it's OFA. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Technically, me and Kevin are badass breeders. Kevin is full-blown, baby. He's got a baby. What's up?
1: Yeah. Um, There's a lot of different tests like this you can get done, though. We had a a similar test with, like, Birdie's heart. We had, like, the OFA for Bird's heart to make sure everything was squared away, and she had a regular rhythm and all that good stuff. But
0: that's very Golden Retriever-specific. Like, the labs are not required to have that done and therefore most people don't do it so I would say all right let's break it down again if you're looking at a breeder you want to make sure at the bare minimum that you're buying a healthy dog so they're doing all the health testing and ask them what health tests the dogs have had dad and mom very important now second is performance we don't want a couch potato we want a dog that likes to retrieve, likes to swim, has the mental capacity to learn and grow and work as a team. And so hunt tests or field trials are a great indication of capabilities. We kind of talked about Izzy a second ago. Izzy, I own/my aunt own slash my aunt owns her, but I own her on paper and I have breeding rights. And we did a junior hunter honor Well, technically speaking, junior hunter is your basic dog. Your good hunting dog. They'll go and get a duck. They'll bring it back to you. They're force fetched. They're steady. They're under, they're obedient. They're a good hunting dog. But for a lot of folks, that's like the highest their dog is or capable of. But that's the key word is capable of. And then there are dogs like Izzy, for example. If Izzy stayed with me for a year and a half, izzy was capable of badassery her pedigree is stacked she was super easy to train all of the above but my aunt wants a family dog so izzy's a part of my breeding program she got her title she's all the health clearances done but she's intelligent she's driven she loves to work with you she's beautiful she's got great qualities that will be passed on to her offspring but she's a junior hunter that's good But you want to beware of the folks whose dogs only make junior hunter and they took 20 tries to get it
1: by the skin of their teeth, you know, right.
0: And you can look that stuff up. You can look up Izzy's pedigree on entry express and you can see she went four for four in junior and whatever, like she crushed it. Other dogs, like I prefer, like if I'm buying a dog, I want master hunter minimum as a mother and a father or Field trials as well. That's like some high-level stuff. That dog has to be really intelligent to maneuver the amount of training and all the things that they need to accomplish to get those goals. So Master Hunter, Qualified All-Age, that's a field trial. FC, Field Trial Champion. AFC, Amateur Field Trial Champion. Those are great things. Grand Hunting Retriever Champion. Uh, Those are titles that I'm looking for when I'm buying a dog. Um, but you know, those, those are important. Okay. When you're picking the breeder itself. So I'm looking at health clearances. I'm looking at titles. Now I want to get to know the breeder a little bit. Are they pumping out puppies? Are they breeding untitled dogs that are unproven, but they have a nice pedigree. You still could get a really great dog. I, I, Really, I, I have. But well, we we asked your opinion, so I so I'm giving my opinion. Yeah. I would steer clear of that because I think they're just buying what would be referred to as a brood bitch, and or a male that's just brood male, like a stud dog brood male, that they have nice paperwork and their title, their parents and grandparents are titled well, but they haven't done jack, so they haven't accomplished anything. These people are just buying nicely bred dogs and breeding them i would be weary of that for sure you're gonna probably save a little bit and get a a less expensive dog so if this is your first timer if you're a high school kid or a college kid it might be a good in but at least the grandparents and or you know parents and great-grandparents and whatever on down the line were stacked you got good odds but for me i want to make sure the parents accomplished and the grandparents were accomplished um out, so I would steer clear of that, and what else would I steer clear of?
1: We actually, while I'm thinking of it, we had a really good video on YouTube with Standing Stone Kennels, our our friends Ethan and Kat. Check them out. They're awesome. Um, on things to ask your breeder when Ethan and Kat actually got a, a dog clutch from Bob, and they flew out here. We had a good time, and, and we did a video on, like, things that you should ask your breeder questions. Your breeder should be asking you. Yeah. And we kind of dig into all this stuff. Really, yeah. Like but. for
0: instance, like if a breed, if you're like, boy, I want to, I want to, I want two brothers out of this litter. I want two dogs. Most breeder, a good breeders. gonna be like, nah, just get one, bro. You, you don't need to just worry about one. Get that one right in two, three, four years, get another one. There's a lot of problems that can go on with siblings. They can become especially same sex siblings. They can become very dominant over each other and you can have fights in your house like a lot of stuff can go wrong. And so people who are just slinging puppies don't care. They're going to make. Oh, you want two? cool. Oh, that's so awesome. You want to. Oh, they're going to be best friends. Nah, they're going to freaking fight it out and duke it out. and You're going to have a handful. I've been there, done that with clients of mine. It's a bad move. Plus, you're dividing your time between two brand new puppies. Housebreaking is gonna be harder. All this, everything will be harder on you. They just want to sling puppies, so be weary of that. Um, yeah, I just and you just have to trust them too. Like, if you have conversations with this breeder and you trust them, and you feel good about them, and you've done your research on the pedigree and the health clearances, and and you've had conversations with them, pull the trigger, do it. If something just feels funny, then it feels funny. Find something else. Plenty of good dogs out there. You don't have to jump on the first one you find. All right, Kevin, we got time for one more?
1: All right, yeah, last one. Um, Jason had a good question. Fixing cigar holds during marks. Dog doesn't do it during force fes- sessions. We, we've had a couple people ask recently about Dogs cigaring a bumper. Uh, I guess first, can you explain what that? Well, it's exactly what you would think it would be. The dog holds a bumper like it's got a cigar hanging out of their mouth.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't do it during force fetch.
1: You're not really a stickler for this often. It depends on the time. Yeah. No, nah, it depends
0: on it. Depends on the dog. Depends on the time. Depends on the situation. If you're telling me your dog is still in force fetch then i don't hold the dog accountable in the field until they're done with force fetch when they're done completely done with force fetch then i'll hold them accountable in the field so if i've got a dog that is a chronic cigarer and they're haphazardly holding the bumper and don't you know are giving least amount of effort possible to hang on to that thing then I'm going to probably knock it out of their mouth and put pressure on fetch and have them grab it properly. And I'm going to do that enough until they decide it's better to just hold it right. Now that can create problems. And so you have to watch your dog and you have to balance that out and you have to read the situation and finesse it. But in essence, if I'm doing T pattern and one out of Five, one out of ten, the dog comes back and the bumpers kind of swing in and whatever, take it, run it. If it's ten out of ten times, I probably will address it. Um, but it usually doesn't correlate to a duck. It usually doesn't correlate in in major problems in their life. I don't worry too much about perfect stuff like that. So. Anyways, great question. Guys, thank you. Check out our Patreon, lone duck outfitters dot, Or no, it's patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. Grab your hat on lone duck Thank you for tuning in. Another episode wrapped up. Hope you enjoyed. See you next time hey do me a solid if you enjoy the show if you enjoy our instagram if we've helped you at all join patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters if you do it before september of 2023 you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and kevin and a bunch of other patreon members down in missouri we're going to smack some ducks have some fun do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time but jump into patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog.